Okay, will you put the picture up? Great. On the screen is a famous optical illusion. So which picture do you see first? Who sees a young woman first? Raise your hand. Wow. Who sees an old woman first? Raise your hand. All right, at least one of you see the old woman, yeah. Uh, you can see both perspectives, but it's hard to see both at the same time. The old, for the old woman, it's the, the chin and the cheek of the young woman becomes the old woman's nose, and the necklace of the young woman is the old woman's mouth. So it depends on how you look at the picture. Oh, yeah. There, it depends on your perspective. Both are in the picture, it just depends on how you look at it. It's simple, but it illustrates something about us. We have different ways of viewing the world. Often those perspectives help us to come to a richer, fuller understanding of reality. Even if there is conflict between the perspectives, there can be mutual understanding. However, sometimes worldviews are just too diametrically opposed to each other to lead to an easy understanding of each other. We've seen this locally and nationally over the past few years as we've struggled how to best deal with COVID. We've struggled with this in our politics. And now, with war in Ukraine, we're seeing the effects of two irreconcilable views of the world. I'm a child of the late Cold War. While there were some tense moments during the Reagan years, the Berlin Wall came down when I was eight. So when I was 10, the Soviet Union no longer existed. So I was spared many of the fears that you had growing up, that many of you had growing up. I didn't have to do duck and cover drills. I wasn't on edge for 13 days in 1962, like some of you were. So what is happening is new to me. Our country certainly, our own country certainly has had its own ill-conceived foreign wars during the past 20 years after 9-11, but what's happening today seems reminiscent of an earlier, bloodier time. It's frightening. Irreconcilable ways of seeing the world can lead to deadly consequences. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is asking us in this moment to reconsider the ways in which we see the world, in which we see our neighbors. Are we looking for signs of abundant life, of healing? Is the light of Christ illuminating our world and helping us to change our perspectives? Or do we flinch from it, preferring our own ways? The restoration of sight to the man born blind is one of the most extraordinary stories in all four Gospels. In John's Gospel, it's the penultimate sign, the only eclipsed by the raising of Lazarus. But the actual healing of the man is perhaps the least interesting part of the story. The method is a little odd. I'll give you that. Ever think about how much spit Jesus would have to use to make mud? You're welcome, confirmation class. What is most interesting is how everyone reacts. Some of his neighbors don't believe that the man born blind is the same guy. 
After all, not only was he blind, he was a beggar too. So that was, that was how they understood him. That was his place in the community. Suddenly, he's not in his proper place. It had to be quite shocking for them. It must have taken some time for their eyes to be opened to his restoration. He says that Jesus healed him. So they take him to the religious leaders to investigate. And while some wonder how a sinner could perform such signs, others dismiss it out of hand. Healing was done on a Sabbath. And to make matters worse, Jesus didn't just wave his hand or something. He actually did physical labor. He made mud. He broke the Sabbath. Therefore, he cannot be from God. The end. They can't look past the appearance of transgression to the abundant life, to the restoration, to the wholeness, to the shalom that this sign points to. Their worldview won't let them. What Jesus does is so offensive, such an affront, they can't stand having this man continue to be a part of their community. They cow his parents. They shut their eyes and ears to the evidence. And they throw him out. I have to say, I tremble a bit when I hear how the religious leaders respond. Because they represent an occupational hazard in my line of work. It's very, very easy to be judgmental toward how a colleague preaches or leads a congregation, toward styles of worship, the megachurch movements, even certain parishioners sometimes. It's very easy to dismiss someone and say that God can't possibly working in that place or in that person. Judgment is sometimes accompanied by its sibling, envy. How could God seem to be blessing that community or that pastor when they are so obviously misguided or unworthy? It's kind of like being Salieri in the movie Amadeus, for those of you who remember that movie. Amadeus, uh, Salieri was so envious of Mozart. The religious leaders can't see God's abundant life on offer because they can't get beyond their understanding of how things ought to go. Of course, none of these reactions are exclusive to pastors. Many of us suffer from such judgments or such envy. Many of us are stuck and our own closed worldviews that can't see what God is doing. Such closeness is a result of sin. Maybe when Jesus talks about being born from above, in water and in spirit, he's talking about a great opening. Opening heart minds and hearts to his shalom, to restoration of life, to God's way. Jesus says, way back in chapter 6, that doing God's work is simply having faith in the one God sent. This isn't a mere intellectual mind ascent to Jesus as Lord. This is a reorientation of one's life around this earth-shattering reality. Such a shattering happens to the man born blind. Near the end of the story, the man is without a community. The leaders have tried to put him back in the place he was before, isolated and alone. But in Jesus, he has community he didn't even know about. He is one of Jesus' beloved sheep. More on this on Ash Wednesday.
his life has been totally reoriented around Jesus the Messiah, who not only opened his eyes, but opened him to abundant life. Such a reorientation also happens among those neighbors that accept this man for who he now is. Not everybody rejects him. Some of his neighbors recognize him as being the man. Some religious leaders recognize the sign for what it is. They, as much as the man, have been given true sight. They can look beyond a literal kind of you have to keep the rules to what God is doing among them. That reorientation is given to us, too. We are washed of water and the Spirit in baptism. It begins right there at that font. We receive the new life week after week in Holy Communion, and we hear the Word, the Word that challenges us to use the new sight, the true sight we've been given, which perceives that God is still working to heal and reconcile the world, to bring shalom to a broken planet. We can have that trust. We can have that sight even in days like these. Jesus still restores sight to the blind. Not just physically blind, but blind in so many other ways. Jesus opens our eyes and opens our hearts to see that new life, that healing taking place among us right now. Let us pray that he'll continue to do so for us and for all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, save us from all, save us all from rigid worldviews that exclude and destroy. Open all of our eyes. Help us in your light see our neighbors for who they really are. Help us see our enemies for who they really are. Help us see ourselves for who we really are. And help us see you, Lord, constantly at work.